All right, so I'm super excited about this teaching series. We're going to be looking at how God sees us and, and who God says we are. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of research done about how do we form our identity? How do we view ourselves? And then separately, how do we view God? How do we build our, our formation of who God is? And, and then how does he, how do we think that he thinks of us? So we're going to be looking at all of that and it's formative. It's, it's foundational. It's part of, you know, um, how we pray and how we interact with the world and how we view ourselves and, and how we have relationships with each other and how we can interact with God. And so the question really is, you know, how do I view myself and how do I think of God? You know, we're formed most of that better for better or worse by our upbringing, by our parents, by good or bad things that people in authority have said into our lives that have kind of stuck with us. Um, for some of us, the, the upbringing could be good. For some of us, it could be negative or in between. For some of us, it's even worse. It's abusive. And we have these things that we are, are you know, that we have to learn to heal through and overcome. Um, you know, as you've grown up and type of your personality, your sense of worth could be tied to your performance. It could be tied to other people and what they, what they think of you, what kind of worth they give to you. It could be tied to attention. Um, it could be tied to harmony, you know, things being at peace. It could be tied to, to security. You know, I feel good when I have jo- uh, a good job or more money. It could be tied to being right. And I feel good about myself when I'm right. I feel peaceful when I'm right or when I have achievement, you know, and I want to be careful here because I'm no expert, right? Like I don't, I don't know everything about identity, but a lot of um, where we are as a culture right now is that identity is really up to you and you can really, um, and there's a lot of good in this too, finding who you are, your true self, you know, uh, your authentic self, uh, you know, but at the same time, there's the flip side, there's like a dark side to that too of you know, when, when you have to decide everything about yourself without, with very little guidance, it puts a lot of pressure on you. And so, you know, it becomes kind of a performance uh, mentality where I really have to, I have to find my true self and, and who is my true self. And I have to like know who I am and have a purpose. And, you know, it can be overwhelming. Um, you know, your identity in Christ is different. Your identity in Christ, um, I heard Tim, Tim Keller said that Christianity um, gives you the only identity uh, that is received and not achieved. Right? He says who you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get there. It's more than your job, more than your education. Like Your Christian identity is more than money. It's more than your sexuality. It's more than your mistakes. It's more than your achievements. It's really, who does God say I am? And if you if you can think, this is what I'd like to, us to view it is that it's a foundation. So all, all of those other things are part of who we are for sure. But underneath all of them is who God says we are and really, uh, or, or over top of them, however you want to see that. But the most importantly is who God says we are. And, and I want to help us see, and, and for myself as well, how do we lean into who God says we are, especially in the areas of our life where we're not living in alignment with that, you know? And so, um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I, I crave recognition. Uh, in school, I loved the fact that every time I did good, I got, you know, re- recognized. I got grades, right? Um, I liked grades. I liked school. I know I'm weird like that. Uh, I liked, you know, getting awards. Um, those were all things that like fed that desire for recognition, for admiration. And it, it gave me a lot of a sense of, of worth. And, and then you kind of move on into regular life and you don't get as much of that, right? Like, um, if you're a good parent, you don't, no one gives you an award. <laughs> you know, if you, if you do a good job at work, sometimes maybe you get recognized, but sometimes it's just like, well, yeah, that's, that's your job. You know, 
Good job. You did your job, right? Um, and I, but I do think that somewhere along the line, my identity got caught up in achieving and even my identity with God. And so the dark side to that, like, like certainly God wants us to work hard and wants us to become who he's created us to be and wants us to dream big and take risks and, you know, and achieve for the kingdom of God and achieve with our gifts. But at the same time, the dark side of that is I, I would tie how I felt about myself and how I felt that God felt about me to whether I was doing good or not in life. And so when I was struggling or when I was sinning or battling sin, you know, or, um, or failing or had little to do uh, to achieve, I would feel worse about myself and I would feel distant from God. I would feel that God didn't, didn't love me, didn't care for me, um, that I had to earn his favor in my life. So this has been one of my greatest struggles as a Christian is learning to see God, see myself how God sees me and learning to know that um, he loves me regardless of my accomplishments or achievements or whether I'm really following him strongly or whether I'm sinning and falling short or struggling or any of those things that God's love is consistent. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. All right. So the, the, the theme for today and, and what we're going to do each week is have an I am statement that we can learn to say these things about ourselves. So I am loved no matter what. I am loved no matter what. See, the thing is with God, you can't take away from his love or add to his love. You can't take away from it with your inability or your failure, your weakness, your sin, your doubt, your fear. And you can't add to it with your accomplishment, your righteousness, your your service of others. Whatever you think might make you a better person. Christian, quote unquote, you can't take away from his love or add to his love. God's love is not a math problem. Okay. His love is constant and it's consistent and it's overwhelming and it's more than you will ever deserve. All right. But it is everything that he wants to give you. And so have you wrestled with God, uh, knowing that God loves you? You know, have you wrestled with this in your life? Have you battled feeling like you have to perform? You may have gotten that from church, you know, not people who do church are well-intentioned people for the most part, but we all make mistakes. And in maybe churches that you grew up in or, or even our church, you know, have communicated that you have to live a certain way for God to approve of you, that you have to check certain boxes and see God's love is not linked to your behavior. God's love is consistent, constant. It was before the creation of the world. And, and we're going to look at this and his love is for you. Okay. Um, have you ever wondered what God really thinks of you? You know, maybe you, you're not even sure that you believe in God. And so even the concept of God loving you is kind of weird. I want to talk about this from a Christian point of view. What does the Bible say? And, and if you're not sure what you think about God, this could be a very important starting point for you. In fact, for many people, it is. This is a, an, an understanding from the Bible that I don't find anywhere else in, in other religions or philosophies. And it's, it's the love of God that is for you, that's a received and not achieved. No matter what. Okay, so we have to look at this story at the very beginning. Genesis 1, 4, and 5. In, in the very beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth, and he puts man, Adam and Eve, um, man and woman, creates them in his image. We talked about that two weeks ago. And he puts them on earth, right? And then... He, they have this mysterious en uh, encounter with this mysterious being um, called the serpent, representing the Satan, is the the uh, the you know the resistor or the opponent, right? Who stands against the one who stands against God and the people of God, and so he has this conversation with them, right, where he's saying, "Didn't why you know? Can't you do whatever you want?" It's basically what he says. Can't you do whatever you want? And they're like, "Yeah, we can do whatever we want, except this one tree. God told us we eat this tree, we'll die." And so, listen, he says, you will not certainly die, 
the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to notice that Satan's first attack is on the relationship between God and humanity. His first attack actually is on the love of God, because what does he do? He questions God's goodness for them or towards them. Um, one, uh, one teacher that I've read said that sin is disbelieving that God doesn't have our utmost good at heart, basically. Okay. And so what he's saying is if God really loved you and doesn't, doesn't that still happen today? I'm telling you, this strategy of the enemy is the exact same strategy that happens today to convince you and I that God doesn't really have our best at heart, that he doesn't really love us, that he's somehow tricking us, getting something out of us or not giving us goodness or controlling us in some way. From this point on, people's relationship with God and with each other is strained and broken. We find the very next thing is that they are ashamed. They're hiding themselves from each other. They're hiding their vulnerability. They're hiding their true selves. Just think about these things, okay? From each other and they're afraid of God. So there, there's shame, shame between people and fear between them and God. This is what not trusting God, not trusting his love, not trusting that his love is for you does. And this is the same attack that continues on. And an interesting thing happens that I want to just sets up the next verse I want to share. So in Genesis 3, God's, God um, talks and it's this poem. Okay, and this is part of the poem. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your, your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so there's this poetic reference to something mysterious happening in the future where um, an offspring of, of, you know, so a human, an offspring of the woman, uh, a, the human would crush the head of the enemy. All right. Um, it's the serpent in this story, but, you know, we, t- we understand that that's the whole of, you know, sa- the Satan, you know, the oppressor, um, the person who resists, the resistor. And so he, put, he will crush his head, but Satan will strike his heel. And so this is a reference very clearly to what's going to happen with Jesus, that Jesus will come and he will crush the power of the enemy, the power of sin and death to separate us, both um, in the temporary and in the eternal from God. Okay, so he's going to break that barrier, but the serpent will strike his heel, right? So he will have to go through death and then resurrection, right? So that's the part of the story that, um, that Satan doesn't really know about. So fast forward. So it starts with this, this love. He creates this beautiful relationship where there's no barriers between humanity and God. And his love is poured out upon them in blessing and righteousness. And then our lack of trust in his love creates a barrier. And I want you to read then when Jesus comes. This is a verse you've probably never heard. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is the, the continuation of the story that it was, it, it's, it's all about love. And, and we could spend hours tracing this theme of God's love for his people and his love for humanity throughout the whole entire Old Testament and New Testament. But this is God's sacrificial act to restore the love relationship between him and you and I. Love drove him to earth. It drove him to the cross. It drove him to the grave. Okay. And love is what brought about the resurrection. 
And we, but we know from Adam and Eve's story, and we should learn from this, that Satan wants to distort our identity. He wants to mess with our, our understanding of how God loves us. How could God love you when you've messed up so many times? How could God love you when you're so filled with doubt? How could God love me if all these bad things are happening in my life? I don't know if I even believe the Bible. How can I believe that God loves me? How could a loving God fill in the blank, right? Therefore, I don't think God loves me. See, this is the strategy of the enemy. Do you ever struggle with knowing that God loves you? What is your reason? What is your thing? Okay, what is your, all right, just go with the analogy here. What is your fruit, right? There was this, this one thing that the enemy pointed out. And that's what happens. Like the, the, in my, in my, oh, I got to stop hitting that microphone. In my opinion, and, and not just my opinion, I think the Bible teaches that, that Satan pinpoints where he knows you're vulnerable to drive a wedge between you and God. So if you're listening to this and you feel far from God, angry with God, hurt by God, hurt by the church, distant from faith, it is no surprise. First Peter tells us that the enemy walks around like a, a prowling lion looking for whom he can devour. Who, does, who do lions prowl around and devour? They devour those who have fallen back from the pack, the, the, the weaker ones or the hurting ones or the sick ones. And so, of course, the enemy is trying to look for your weakness in your faith. Like, okay, where would you be susceptible? I would be susceptible with pride and achievement. And so if I can't achieve, maybe God doesn't love me. And so we attack my concept of God and my faith so that I am constantly striving and never receiving, that I'm constantly working and working and trying to work myself into a relationship with God instead of receiving his free gift of love and grace for me. What is it for you that the enemy attacks in your love relationship with him, that the enemy drives a wedge between you and just receiving at no cost to you the free love of God in your life. I am loved. I am loved. No, can you say that with me? I am loved no matter what. So I want to look at one passage today to look at what the Bible says about God's love for us. And it's in Romans 8, 31 and 39. Sorry. So if God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to see here that there's going to be this five-tier um, like crescendo. And Paul's been building up to this, this whole book. But there's this five-tiered crescendo of these questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul, Paul looks around. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a dramatic movie. Like, no one, right? As a, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Yes. Yes, he's given us his son what more could we ask? He's going to continue to pour out his love upon us. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Like, there's many who will try, but if God justifies you, nobody can bring a charge against you, not even yourself, okay? It is God who justifies, see? Who then is he who condemns? Who condemns? No one. No one condemns. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. See, in response to any words of condemnation, any words like Satan, you know, like Satan and Adam and Eve, where he's saying, God's lying to you. Don't trust him. You will not, you will certainly not die. He just doesn't want you to know. He just wants to keep things from you. All of those accusations, condemnation, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't deserve God's love or, you know, God doesn't really love you. Or what about this doubt? Or what about that fear? All of those things. They pale in comparison to the fact that Jesus died and rose again. That's really 
the key. You look to the cross and you see the reality, okay? That he, di- that he died and rose again to show his love to you. So the next verse, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the big question today. I am loved no matter what. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Nobody. Can you sep- not You can't even separate yourself. Think about things that try to separate us. Shame. Feeling like we're too dirty, too broken, too sinful, too much of a past to really truly be loved by God. God loves that person. God loves that person. God loves that person. But God tolerates me. No. Shame is not something that we can come under if we read what the scripture says about us. How God sees you, he doesn't see you through your shame, through your worst moments. No. He sees his son. When you come into the family of God, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you receive his righteousness, there's this great and amazing exchange of your worst for his best, of your sin for his perfection. And when God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus, okay? When I say the blood of Jesus, I'm metaphorically, he sees the sacrifice that Jesus gave so that you could be cleansed of your sin and the repercussions of your sin. So there really is no room for shame. What else could separate you? Maybe perfectionism, like I've talked about. Feeling like we can't really feel loved until we just do everything right. Pray, my, pray a lot. Read a lot. Be good. Be, you know, your, your, the love of God is not tied to your performance as a Christian. In fact, we're going to read more about that in a second. What about doubt? Could doubt separate you? Listen, one of the, one of the famous characters of the Bible was, was Thomas, who doubted right up until Jesus like appeared and had Thomas touch his skin and put his finger in the hole in his wrist like... You are in good company. All of the disciples doubted. All of us struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt. That doesn't disqualify you from the love of God. It's so fascinating is like God's love isn't dependent on you believing that it exists. He pursues you. Okay. Um, Woundedness. If you've grown up in an environment where you've never felt safe, you've never felt loved, you've never known what love without, um, you know, demanding something back from you, love with no strings attached, looks like unconditional love. You've never known that. It can be hard to trust. It can be hard to trust God. It can be hard to feel that love and receive that love. But God's love goes even beyond our woundingness. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. He's really saying, what about with bad things happening in my life? Does that mean God doesn't love me? No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. No, rather by his love, because he loves us, bad things don't mean he doesn't love us. By his love, we get through the bad things. For I am convinced, here's the great culmination of who shall separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, okay? Angels or demons, the present or the future, or any powers, height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. So it's a resounding nothing, Who shall, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are loved. I am loved no matter what. Even your own rebellion against God can't separate you. Real quick, one more verse. Ephesians 2. As for you and me, we were dead in our sin, but because of his great, what? Love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. 
This is the story of the gospel is that you are loved no matter what, that you can't run from his love, that you can't out his love, that you can't earn his love, that this love is a free gift. This is the message of the gospel is that you are loved in your sin, in your worst moments, in your best moments, in your doubts, in your anger against God, in your railing against God, in your questions, in your pain, in the reality of life, in the mess of life, when you don't know who you are, when you don't know if you can be who you want to be, God's love is the constant that stays with you through all of those things. You cannot get away from it. He loves you no matter what. You are loved no matter what. And you have a choice, and I have a choice, like Adam and Eve, to believe that or not believe it. To say, yes, I am loved and I trust in his love, or to say, no, I think I better make my own way. We need God's love as the foundation of our identity. See, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, right? That's who he is. His, we, we learn in 1 John 4, 19 that we love because he first loved us. See, here's the key about this love, guys, is this story isn't about you, okay? It's about God. It's not about how you can earn his love. This story is about how you could never earn it. It's not about how you love God so well. No, it's about how God loves you so well. It's not about your sin. It's about his forgiveness, right? This is about him. We love to make this story about us so often, but this is not about you. It's not about what you can add to or take away from his love. It's about God's love for you, settled for eternity. Max Licato says this, you don't influence God's love. You can't impact the treeness of a tree, the skyness of the sky, or the rockness of a rock, nor can you affect the love of God. If you could, John would have used more ink. He would have said God is occasional love or sporadic love or fair-weathered love. If your actions altered his devotion, listen to this, then God would not be love. Indeed, he would be human. For this is human love. And you've had enough human love, haven't you? See, God loves you. Deal with it. This is, how does this affect us? You don't need to seek the approval of others. That doesn't have to be your foundation anymore. You don't have to live in your shame and guilt. You can hear and receive what God says about you. You don't have to perform and achieve to feel God's love. You don't have the weight, all right, uh, to love ourselves until the scale is right of how good you are versus how bad you are or to feel good about yourself when a paycheck comes or when the job is right or when your social media is right or when your relationship status is right. You don't need to seek after romantic relationship after romantic relationship to fill that void. You can find who you are, your identity rooted in God's love and then out of that can flow all the other things that are about your identity. But you are loved. See, John 15, Jesus tells us to abide. He invites us, not just tells us. He invites us to abide in God's love, to live in his love, to make our house, to make our dwelling, to build our lives in his love. See, learn, we have to learn to live in his love. It's not like living in anyone else's love. It's not like living in the world's love. This is a different kind of house. You got to learn to start your day in his love and end your day in his love, to live your day-by-day moments in his love, to define your success by his love and to deal with your failure by his love, to find your confidence in his love and to bring your insecurity and fear to his love. 
love. See, his love is different. It's different than having unmet expectations hang over your head. It's different than having words of hurt spoken over you that stick with you. It's different than people letting you down, leaving you, or abandoning you. It's different than false religions that have judged you or told you you don't measure up or you're not enough. No, God's love is different. It's a different house that you abide in. His love is perfect. You will thrive. You will flourish in his love. You will come to find your true, authentic self in his love. No earning, no performing, no shame. You know, maybe you've even sealed yourself off against his love because it's too vulnerable. It's too um, scary to open up like that. But see, God's love is the ultimate safe place. So the big question for all of us is, will you run like Adam and Eve from his love? Or will you live and abide in his love? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I am loved no matter what. Build your identity. Build your house of who you are in his love. Abide in his love. I want to leave a verse with you. And I want to pray this verse together as we close our teaching. Okay, so next week we're going to have um, part two going to be talking about another I am statement, a, a foundation laying that grows out of the fact that we're loved. And these are all layered on top of each other. So the next one, I'm not going to tell you, you got to come next week. But the next one is another truth from the Bible where we can say, I am blank. All right. So, but today's I am loved no matter what. And let's, let me just pray this verse over you. So let's pray. This is Ephesians 3. I pray that you and me being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Guys, I hope that you will be more rooted in his love this week and that you will abide in his love And I look forward to seeing you next week on our live stream. We've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up in church. Let's get out there and find creative ways to serve our community, serve together. So love you guys. And we'll see you um, on all of our different social media platforms and all the cool things we're doing this week. I hope we can interact a lot and we'll see you in the live stream next week.